Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Can you feel it? Can you feel less than a week? What are we now? Five days away from the big day. And I'm, I'm feeling good about it. I'm not overconfident, but I'm not underconfident. It's going to be close, but I think the good guys win. We all know what that means. Got quite a boost today to that end from the latest data about GDP growth in the third, uh, third quarter. Q3, U.S. GDP booming at 33.1%, <clears throat> which is incredible. And... Look, they had the worst ever quarter in Q2. Now they've had what I believe is the strongest ever quarter in Q3. Uh, Yes, indeed. So we've gone we've gone from the worst quarter to the best quarter. This is really meaningful. Uh, For one, it gives us some real data. It gives some real teeth to the claim made by Donald Trump that the economy is in a period of comeback now that we are turning the corner that we are making the necessary adjustments and changes uh, for the economy to start growing again a lot in 2021 because the left is desperately trying to convince everybody. I mean, the Democrats are pretty much basing their entire electoral hopes and not just for Biden, for all the Democrat races on everyone being depressed, being told constantly being hectored to, to wear a mask Always outside, inside, upstairs, downstairs, asleep, awake, whatever. And feel like the economy doesn't actually have a lot of room to room to run right now. And it's only going to get better if you vote for the build back better guy. Yeah, that's the best they could come up with. Build back better. Uh, Well, we don't need Joe Biden to build back. We don't need Joe Biden for anything, actually. All we have to do is understand that the president's economic policies for the first three years of his presidency were astonishingly successful, setting all kinds of records. And then it is a tragedy, a global pandemic hit. I think we overreacted as a society to the way we should have dealt with this global pandemic instead of uh, taking it place by place and looking at the data and adjusting as we went along. We went for this extended, severe lockdown, and now we're going into another series of lockdowns. But the point is, it wasn't a failure of Trump's approach to the economy that caused the downturn this year. We all know what it was. It was COVID-19. It was a pandemic that has hit the rest of the Western world with a ferocity. It hit China badly. Some other countries haven't been hit quite the same way, usually because they have Uh, either a population that is just generally less susceptible. It could be for a whole bunch of reasons. Also, they're more easily, like New Zealand, more easily able to cut themselves off from global travel and a lot of uh, mixing with the global population. So we see what's really happened here. We understand that Donald Trump wasn't responsible for the downturn in the economy. In fact, there was a downturn because he listened to the experts. Notice how they always tell you that he doesn't believe the scientists. But the only reason the economy tanked in the second quarter the way that it did was because Trump went along with what the science advisors of the federal bureaucracy that he inherited told them needed to be done. 
And now as we've started to understand this disease better, have somewhat better treatments and modalities for approaching it, people are realizing that there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. There's a lot of economic uh, economic activity that wants to get going and people want to start opening up businesses. They want to start traveling. They want to do these things. They just want to feel safe enough. There's no such thing as perfectly safe. Right? You've been traveling, I'm sure, for decades of your life during flu season and during other other outbreaks that could have been could have been fatal, but there was a low enough chance of that that you go about your life. We just need to get to that place where we can all understand who's really at risk, who's not, and what are acceptable acceptable risks in our society, and then we can start getting going again. And this is what Trump is showing everybody right now with these numbers. If we just approach this rationally, we'll be in a place where 2021 can be a booming year. The, The Trump policies, unlike Obama's policies, which were spend a whole lot of money, expand the welfare state, a lot more regulation, more people on food stamps than at any time before that in American history. Right. Unlike the Obama administration's policies. You look at the Trump administration's economy and everything that you can point to to show that they were moving in the right direction is there. You have an anomaly. I mean, you know, sometimes you get hit by a bus, even if you look both ways crossing the street. You know, sometimes things happen. That's what has occurred with our economy. It's like a freak storm out of nowhere. This is just what we're facing because of the COVID-19 virus. It's not on Trump. And I think this is central because if people just understand that the America we will have going forward soon, if Donald Trump gets reelected, is the America we had a year ago where the biggest questions were, you know, what what are you going to do with the extra money that you have from the tax cuts? And what what field do you want to pursue now that there are fewer regulations preventing you from open a small business? I mean, economically, these you know, how can you continue to make money in the stock market? We're making so much money. Your 401ks are doing so well. People started to feel like this can't continue. I mean, it's just so, so prosperous. And yes, then COVID comes along. But understand where the responsibility for all of this comes and, and where it doesn't. Right. Uh, where does it come in? And Donald Trump's economy alone should be enough in my view, uh, for his reelection between the, the incredibly strong economy and the fact that he hasn't started a war, that he hasn't put uh, U.S. lives in jeopardy abroad for no apparent reason or no good reason, uh, because these are these are things that I think really matter. I mean, these are aspects of day to day life. You know, we, we're always told the Democrats care so much about these uh, kitchen table issues. And then they want to talk about the Green New Deal. What people want to know. Are they going to be in a strong job market? Are they going to make more? Are their wages going to go up? Are they going to have more real purchasing power? And, you know, are, are they safe? And is their property safe? And can they walk down the street without getting attacked? Democrats fail on those points. And when you break it down, you see it. Democrats are, are unable to make the case in those key areas in a way that's based in fact and truth. I mean, they're obviously telling people, Joe's going to build back better. Joe Biden's best economic ideas are influence peddling and taking money from you, right, for his son, of course, and taking money from you to give to other people so that they have more stuff. Joe Biden and the Democrat Party of today have fallen into that. 
that unfortunate theorem uh, that was elucidated not too long ago by Bastiat in the law. I mean, it's a couple of hundred years ago, but not that long ago. Or he said that the people want to live by the fiction that they can live at the expense of every other person. That's really what the Democrats promise. Other people are responsible for any frustrations you have. We're going to take from them and give to you. Just give us the power to do so. That's a zero-sum game. That's not a net wealth creation game. That doesn't make people better off in the aggregate. It helps some at the expense of others and creates inherent political and economic divisions. And you know what the only way to solve them are? And this now goes to Hayek and the road to serfdom. Those intrusions into the economy, those intrusions into commercial activity that the government engages in, the people that do that, they always want to do more to fix, to fix the imbalances that they themselves have created. It's like they make endless work for themselves by doing the busy work in the first place of taking things from you and spreading them out into the broader economy. So what country do we really want to live in going forward? The one that pretends Joe Biden and Barack Obama were good stewards of the economy for eight years when all the data shows us that's not true? Or the one where Donald Trump was calling the shots and people really felt like our best years were very much still ahead of us? Joe Biden gets into office and people right now who have who have kids uh, and people who have grandkids, they will be better off than their posterity will. Future generations are going to suffer as a result of these policies of socialism, of central planning, of economic redistribution under the guise of social justice. Donald Trump can bring us back not to some fantasy land of the future, to what we had before which was pretty fantastic. All we have to do is recognize what has really happened and give him the chance. That's what this 33.1% GDP number shows us today. The Trump plan works. The Biden plan is fiction. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. Just when you thought the media's credibility couldn't be any lower. I mean, how do you go below the basement, right? What, what's there? You, you, now we're digging into the sheetrock. Now, now we're getting toward the, the magma, the core of the earth, in terms of how low the media's credibility can go. Liquid hot magma. So... They had this uh, this op ed published in the New York Times two years ago. And uh, it was yeah, two, tw- the summer of 2018. And I was living in D.C. at the time I was doing this show, but also working for uh, the hill dot com. And, and so for D.C. folks, this became a, a big guessing game. Who's the anonymous op ed writer? And then this op ed, you'll recall, the New York Times claimed this was a senior administration official, a senior administration official and we had to take their word for it that this person was of the kind of stature where we would care we would care that they didn't like what the president was doing that that it would matter to anybody that this individual would stab the administration that he was working for in the back and then you know somehow we're going to believe this person think that they're almost being heroic uh, and, and that they matter that remember, that's key that they matter. 
I was highly skeptical the whole time. I mean, people were saying crazy stuff. It's one of Trump's kids. I was like, no, it's not. Oh, it's the White House. It's the White House uh, press secretary. Or it's no, it's not. It was so obvious. None of that was true. But they had to present something in a way that people would actually pay attention to it. So that's why they said a senior administration. You know, if they say that you know an intern at the Department of Commerce wrote something about Trump, no one cares. No one cares. But an anonymous person who's really important and powerful and is working in secret as part of the hashtag resistance against the administration because Trump is so reckless and dangerous. That got a lot of attention because of all the guessing around it. And it's this was all rooted in whether or not you think the New York Times can be trusted, that its judgment can be trusted, that it's presenting this in a way that is responsible and is fair minded which I know is laugh. Even as I say that to you, it's how can those words even come out of my mouth? But that's that's what they've uh, that's how they set this whole thing up. Well, now we know who the anonymous op ed writer is. And just as I said at the time, this is some low level schmo that no one cares about. Uh, just as I said originally on this show, then two years ago, it's now taken us two years to find this out. Guess who this guy is? Some nobody at DHS who's good buddies with fake Tapper and is already a CNN contributor. Oh, what a shock. This, this couldn't be any more perfect. He's uh, the former DHS chief of staff, Miles Taylor. But when he wrote the op-ed, this is the best part. He wasn't even DHS chief of staff, which, let me be clear, would absolutely not qualify as a senior administration official. Nobody gives a crap who the DHS chief of staff is. It's a job like thousands of other jobs in the federal government. Good for you, right? I'm not saying anybody who has that job shouldn't be taken seriously in their role, but this is not impressing anybody in the national political conversation. You know, no one who sits around talking about, oh, I was chief of staff to an attorney general. Who cares? Chief of staff. This this is not something that qualifies as senior and important government position dhs doj commerce whatever right this doesn't matter but here he is miles taylor who is a senior advisor to dhs when he wrote this which is just hilarious but here he's come out he wants everybody to and this guy he he everything about him fits to a t what we thought this guy would be i mean he reminds me of a. Uh, the pajama, the pajama boy looking guy from uh, who's on CNN now used to work for Comey at the FBI, really doing doing a, a lot of damage to the FBI's already tattered reputation. But I digress. Here's uh, Miles Taylor, anonymous op ed writer. Play one. It's a character study of one man, hmm. the president of the United States. And it wasn't me throwing other colleagues under the bus. The point was to focus on him and his record. And if you go back in time, Chris, our founding fathers did this. When they wrote the Federalist Papers to defend the passage of the Constitution, did they do it in their own names? They did it under pseudonyms, and they did it for a reason. Is Madison and the other authors didn't want it to be about them and their personalities. They wanted the people to debate the ideas. And I wrote this, Chris, because I wanted people to debate the ideas and Donald Trump's character and record. But again, I want to point out to you, I had no fear about putting my own name on the line here. And that's why I did it months ago. So people could come out and challenge me. They could pick apart my record. 
I mean, what a what a slimy little fraud, isn't it? Isn't it just so great to see who this is finally? Yeah, I'm, he's first of all, he's comparing himself to the founding fathers. Yeah, it was about the ideas with them. Does he really think that this is going to fly? We weren't debating Donald Trump's character enough before he wrote this op-ed. Like we're all so dumb, we don't understand what happens here. If he writes this under his own name, nobody cares. But what he did was use the reckless Trump derangement syndrome inspired complete lack of judgment from the New York Times. I mean, lack of judgment, meaning in terms of fairness and ethics. But they saw this as a ploy. They saw this as a way to both hurt Trump, create dissension in the ranks among senior Trump advisors and put forward this myth, because that's what it was, that one of Trump's top people really thought he was a reckless danger and would leave the job, but he knew that if he did, the country would be in peril. This guy, Taylor, is only somebody we're talking about now because he pretended by being anonymous to be more important than he was. And now he's, oh, no, it wasn't about me. Please, dude, you're already a CNN contributor. Give me a break. It's gross. This reminds me of a guy who was uh, at the NSC and... Uh, he he wrote that editorial about how he had been an intelligence professional and Donald Trump is terrible and he's a nonpartisan intelligence professional. And then it came out that this guy worked for Ben Rhodes and donated thousands of dollars to Democrat candidates in the last election cycle. It's like, okay, so you're a super partisan hack, but you're writing an editorial as a nonpartisan intelligence official. These people are just such little frauds, but they're so used to being in these places, in these media and academic and bureaucrat ecosystems where they get to do this whole, oh, I don't have any politics. I just happen to always have Democrat politics. Yeah, big shock, folks. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. Yes, Trump would have a very different approach to the economy, a much better one. I think that's clear, although I know the the libs are arguing that till they're blue in the face. Blue in the face. See what I did there? Uh, but sure enough, there's no way to separate that from COVID response as well and, and the future of um, how the two different political parties, two different candidates in this case, would deal with COVID. And here's what the president's trying to remind everybody. Play 10. If you vote for Biden, it means no kids in school. No graduations, no weddings, no Thanksgiving, no Christmas, and no Fourth of July together. Other than that, you have a wonderful life. It's true. I mean, in essence, it's not on the specifics, but it does mean schools will continue to be shut down. You won't be able to have graduations. Uh, the Democrats are, are completely devoted to all these ideas, and they don't want, they don't want it to change anytime soon. They've created an atmosphere of fear, and now we all have to live in it. They've cre created an irrational uh, intolerance for any risk whatsoever, including for those who are at very low risk. I mean, when this disease was spreading in the early days in New York City, and it was we were worse hit by it than anywhere else, as you know, I was on the subway four times a day, and, and in the most crowded places. I was in bars and restaurants. I mean, I, I was basically walking around begging to get COVID. I didn't know it at the time. And... If they would let me, I would go back to most of that activity tomorrow, knowing that I could get the disease and knowing that my immunity 
once I beat it, assuming I beat it, which I'm willing to roll the dice on that, uh, knowing that it wouldn't last forever, but I think it would last long enough that we'd be in better shape by the next time around. I'd have to worry about it, if at all. But this is where we are uh, in the country right now. You can either have a Biden administration that has had all these people in the media and all these uh, left wing activists just constantly pushing the panic porn stuff, telling us, oh, remember there was there was a, you know, what was it? Kawasaki disease for for kids. We were supposed to be so worried about that tied into covid, you know, this rare disorder that all didn't. There was nothing there. All disappeared. And, you know, long covid people are saying that, oh, you never really get better. And then there's all the stuff. Oh, maybe your lungs are always destroyed and ruined. And they keep running these stories and stories and stories. There's really very little follow up to it. And what they should be doing is looking at things like remdesivir doesn't really work. Most recent studies say no. But remember, remdesivir, good hydroxychloroquine, bad. That's what we were told. Remdesivir got approved, even though really doesn't do very much. And they've done big trials of it now, but it still got approved. This is largely just driven by perception. They think it might shorten, I think, in 30 percent of people, it maybe shortened their stay in the hospital by a few days, they think. But how do they know people weren't just getting better anyway? It's very, very uh, skimpy evidence for remdesivir being a really major, a major tool against this. not a cure, but a tool against this. Uh, probably not even as good as Tamiflu against the flu. And as somebody who's had the flu a couple times and remembers, you know, you can take Tamiflu, but a lot of doctors will say, eh, you, know, you might get better a day or two sooner, but, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. Just get a lot of rest, take good care of yourself, you'll be okay. That's, that's often the approach. But so you have, you have the Trump version of how we're going to deal with this, which is reopening things. Here, the uh, White House Press Secretary, Kelly McEnany, has also laid this out so that everyone's very clear on it. Play 15. Look, the American people have a very clear choice when it comes to COVID. You can vote on Joe Biden where you will be locked down. Your schools will be closed. Your churches will be closed. You won't have social gatherings. It will be a lockdown versus President Trump where, where we are safely reopening this country. Americans deserve jobs. They deserve freedom. Joe Biden's modeling his strategy, which is lockdown in the basement. But this president has surged therapeutics and testing and a vaccine in record time. We can control this. But at the same time, we can open this country and not lock down like Joe Biden will do. Amen. Notice the Biden plan for reopen for build back better is always. Oh, I'm going to listen to the scientists. I'm going to listen to a man. You know, no joke. No joke. Biden loves to say that he's got these these pseudo folksy phrases that he's just honed over decades of spewing political bullcrap to get elected to office and do very little once he's there. One of his favorite shows, no joke. I'm not kidding. No joke. Oh, wow. Joe, it's like you're it's like you've rolled up your work shirt and you're sitting next to me at the little kitchen table and just telling me about the hard day's work, riding the choo-choo with your lunch pail. You know, give me a break. But he's out there telling everybody. They'll listen to the experts and wear a mask. Their only strategy is wear a mask and be afraid. That's it. They have nothing else. Listen to the experts. What do the experts tell us? Uh, avoid people and wear masks. That's what the experts. There, there's always this this pretense, this make believe approach from from Biden and the media and the Democrats that if only Trump would listen to the geniuses out there who are telling him what to do, everything would be better. OK, what are those geniuses saying? 
What is Fauci saying? What's Dr. Fauci telling you what to do? Uh, wear a mask. Okay, we're wearing masks. We're, we're wearing masks. Virus is still surging, but we're wearing our masks. You know what they're going to say in two or three months when there are going to be a lot more cases of this? I think the death rate will be considerably lower than it was when it hit us the first time around, but there will be a lot more cases. Of this. You know what they're going to say? We're not wearing masks enough. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think it's ever possible to wear masks enough, according to people for whom the only real response to this virus and the only thing we have to do is to wear masks? You think they'll ever admit that maybe that's not enough, not even close to enough? They will not. I can tell you that right now. But Joe Biden... He's got a he's got a fever and the only prescription is more mask wearing. Play 18. And we discussed again the vital importance of wearing masks, of protecting yourself, protecting your neighbor and to save around 100,000 lives in the months ahead between now and just after the first of the year. This is not political. It's patriotic. Wearing a mask. Wear one. Period. Wear one, period. He also likes to do that. No joke, folks. No joke, period. Wow, that's uh, really impressive stuff, Joe Biden. Yeah, wearing a mask. Uh, You know where they wear masks and have mask mandates? Major European countries like Italy and Spain, uh, where they have huge spikes in cases right now and are going through just straight up stay-at-home order lockdowns. That's, That's what they're heading for, if they're not there already. They've been wearing masks. But I thought all that's all we had to do. Now they'll come up with some theory. Oh, it's because of young people in the summertime in the. Really? That's what it's because of. Long indoor exposure to an infected person is how this gets spread. We all know that. So unless you're going to avoid being indoors with other human beings, you're probably going to be exposed to this at some point if you have not been already. That's where we are. This idea that if we all just wear masks, uh, we're going to be able to, to beat this thing. That was never the promise in the beginning. It was never, guys, just wear masks. This thing will go away in two weeks. Just wear masks. It'll, in 60 days, we'll be done. Maybe we could have done that. Maybe we would have you know, been willing to give that a shot. But no, instead, it's always we're not doing it enough. We're not doing it enough. Here's... Uh, the worst, you know, I, I put up a poll today on on Twitter and much to my surprise, the poll was was about whether or not um, the poll was about whether or not uh, Trump should. Oh, sorry. Who should Trump when he wins reelection? The first person he should fire is and the options were Fauci and Christopher Ray, the FBI director. And so the top infectious disease specialist in the federal government or the top uh, federal investigator. FBI guy, Christopher Ray, about 80 percent of the tens of thousands of people who replied to that thought Ray should be the first person to be fired. And I got to tell you, I think it should be the Fouch. I think that Fouch is a much better choice for getting the boot. Here he is. Remember, listen to the experts. Listen to the experts. I, I can assure you we're going to be listening to the experts and it's not going to work. And then they're going to blame us. And when I say us, they're going to blame Trump supporters. The worst results for COVID are in blue, very, very blue places in America. But the reason we still have COVID is because of Trump and Republicans somehow. Isn't that a fascinating 
cognitive dissonance that they have just embraced. Here's the Fouch just telling you, uh, look, it's really important you listen to him because he's out there letting you know it's going to get worse. It's going to things are going to get terrible. We're we're never going to be done with this thing. You're probably going to wear masks and social distance and have no fun and no life all next year. Maybe another year after that. I'm not going to say it's not going to be at least three years, but it could be three. I could be 10, honestly. But you got to do everything I say. But at least for three years, maybe two, you're going to have to not not see grandma or your mom and dad or, or, or have any time with loved ones in an enclosed space. You know, just be outside with them from 50 feet away. No hugs. But this is good because, you, you know, the ch- if you get this, there's like a one in 10,000 chance you could die. So you can't you can't take that risk. No one's allowed to take that risk. That's pretty much vouch for you. Here he is. Thirteen. This is going to get worse because we're going more into a colder season as we get through the fall and into the winter with the holiday season going. We've got to do something different. We can't just let this happen. We're going to have many more hospitalizations, and that will inevitably lead to more deaths. So this is an untenable situation. Untenable situation in the winter. Okay. Does everybody remember what happened in March? Lockdown. Stay-at-home orders. Businesses closed. Everyone terrified, staying in their homes. Did this go away in 60 days? No, it actually shot up like a... Uh, a, I was going to say stock market crash. That's the wrong direction, but jumped up like a tidal wave. There we go. And now we pretend like if we just do what we did that time, what exactly? Oh, even if it doesn't seem like it's working, it would have been worse. That's the other standard that they have created an unfalsifiable approach to COVID-19. Do what we say when it doesn't really work. We'll say you either didn't do it well enough or it would have been much worse. Hmm. Gee. Maybe also what they're telling us just doesn't work, but that's you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed. When I say doesn't work, maybe it delays the spread by some percentile or some factor, but delaying the spread doesn't actually if you're looking at it on a public health, uh, you know, from a from a 30,000 foot view. Then what are you putting yourself through all this for? You know, the UK, I think the latest data is that they think they've had a 70 percent increase in suicides. And a lot of people tragically commit suicide in America every year. UK thinks they've had a 70 percent increase. That's the latest data that I saw. But don't worry. Oh, and all the cancers that they're finding in even in Canada now where they haven't had as bad a time with COVID as we have. But inoperable cancers that could have been identified earlier, but people weren't going. But so but don't worry about any of those costs. Be scared. Listen to Fauci. Do what he says or else. We're going to get the or else anyway. That's that's what I'm telling you. There's there's no there's no future in which Fauci says, great job, everybody. You listen to me. We didn't have terrible things with the virus. No, it's going to get bad. It's not going to be as bad as it was. And he's going to say, keep doing the annoying, stupid things you don't want to do. Keep masking up in between bites of food. And if you don't and, and, and it's because you haven't done that, that we've had the cases that we've had. When in reality, the public health authorities in this country are just in, impotent when it comes to doing anything about this. They can't do anything. They don't really have an answer. Freezing society in place was considered too crazy and too destructive for a much worse disease when they were modeling this out in the past than what we currently have. But that's really effectively the only answer they can give you. The more open we are, the more people come into contact with each other, just like a common cold, the more this is going to spread. That is just what's going to happen. 
They can try to say that mitigation, mitigation, mitigation. It's not going to stop it. It hasn't stopped it before. But Fauci wants a national mask mandate. And I want to start screaming F-bombs on the radio when he says this stuff. Play 14. You're using the word mandating masks. Yes, if that works, let's do it. I don't think it's going to happen nationally. Why? If it doesn't happen nationally, the reason is because it might it, it may not come from the White House to do it. The, the, the reason we won't have a national mask mandate is because of the bad Trump guy, but I'm not political. Here's something for you to think about. Fauci has complained about being used in Trump ads. Fauci has not complained about the fact that he is called out by name by Biden, including on Biden's website as the guy he'll listen to, clearly politicizing his advice on this. But the Democrat is fine. It's Trump that he's got a problem with, but he's not he's not political, not political. Sure, he isn't. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the best of Buck daily podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton show. But I'm not just running against Joe Biden. I'm running against the left wing mob and the left wing media, the big tech giants. And I'm also running against the rhinos. You know what a rhino is? A rhino may be the lowest form of human life. He is indeed running against all of those things. He's running against them and he's. Very. Uh very gifted when it comes to exposing who his enemies really are. That's that's one of Trump's great skills. He he shows you who his opponents are at their core because they he, he deranges them. I mean, he unbalances them. They just all of a sudden lose the ability to to have the artifices and the obfuscations necessary to pretend they're just objective journos or to pretend I don't have any politics, man. I just hate Trump. But if, if there's one thing about a Donald Trump reelection that I will absolutely relish, and there's many of there's many things. But if there's one thing that I think is just incredible, it's what a giant extended single digit from a human hand with the other digits clasped down. It will be to the media in a way that I, I mean, I think I might have to go run through Times Square in my underwear doing cartwheels which was, is not a sight anybody necessarily wants to see these days. But I'm just saying, I'm going to be so excited because they, they deserve it. They deserve it, especially when you add the, the icing on the cake of their uh, journalistic malpractice atrocities. Is just the last 60 days or so with Hunter Biden stuff, the lies in the Atlantic. They went so hard on that. Oh, yeah, Trump, Trump hates the military and thinks they're losers. They really thought that was going to stick. Unbelievable. But he is running against the media and he's running against the rhinos. He's running against people who really want their power back. You can tell some of them have started to emerge a little bit in the public sphere again. I'm not talking about the those weirdos at the Lincoln Project. I mean, others who have been sidelined because they were wrong about Trump. And then instead of working with the administration, you know, any Republican could have been. All right, I'm going to try. I, I wasn't for Trump originally, but I'm going to try to help shape his administration and public policy as best I can for the most favorable and most conservative and constitutionally sound outcomes. And I'm going to call balls and strikes completely, you know, respectable, sound, uh, sound approach to the Trump administration. But there were some Republicans who decided, no, 
I'm just going to be on the sidelines throwing tomatoes, not just at Trump, but at Trump supporters, too. Right. That was the, the call they made. And look, let's be honest about it. It was the wrong call. OK. And now they're seeing an opportunity if Trump loses to go back into being the opposition against Biden, which will be a very comfortable place for a lot of people in the media. I'll just say this right now. All of a sudden, everybody on the right will say, all right, well, at least we know we know who the opposition is. So there will be that shift and change. But for the overall, the mainstream media, Trump's victory would be it's just it's necessary. It's a necessary corrective to their dishonesty and to the the terrible stuff that they've done to their their profession. I mean, people shouldn't think of journalists as 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 an ethical profession. I mean, they should really think of journalists the way people think of slip and fall attorneys. You know, they should think of journalists the way they think of uh, people that are, you know, pushing drugs for big pharma out there. Uh, you know, the big big pharma push with the sales reps and everything for years and years who were, you know, there was a lot of very expensive booze and strip clubs and stuff for a while there in the mid 2000s. I know doctors who have told me stories about this from the big pharma companies using very often attractive and female sales reps to get deals done. So, you know, when you think of journalists, not as these guardians of the republic, but as a profession, they're like actors with less talent. That's all I'm trying to say, really. And, and many of them are about as well read as actors, which is not really well read at all. All you have to do is turn on CNN for about five minutes and you'll see plenty of that. So I want Trump to win for many, many reasons. But one of the biggest ones is the repudiation of the press corps of the mainstream media. The first time around, remember, they were complicit in a sense. That's how they view it. They were complicit in his victory because they were covering his rallies live and they gave him so much attention. Right. You remember that this time around, they took an approach of not picking up his rallies, suppressing information, doing everything they possibly could to stack the deck against him. And the president is right when he says this is the plan. Play eight. Here's a guy gets caught and the media doesn't want to write about it. You know what they call it? Not freedom of the press, suppression of the press. We don't have freedom of the press. You know what? We don't have, you understand that? We don't have freedom of the press. We have suppression of the press. And there's never been a time when it's more obvious than right now. He's right. We've seen who the journos are. I've been saying this for a long time. One of the biggest uh, transformations in public perception for those who care about the news media and the way they cover national politics and issues in general. And remember, the way the news media covers issues shapes perceptions that affect how we view culture, uh, how we view even pop culture. Right there. There's an entire narrative creation machinery out there. And most of it now is being put either on your TV screen or on your your computer screen There's very little actual newspaper reading going on these days compared to what it used to be. Uh, but the, the president understands that they have created this whole apparatus under the premise that they're presenting. They're giving you information just as you need it, just to make sure you're informed when really they're trying to shape your opinion, shape your ideas all the time. And we've entered this period of suppression. But we also because of social media, and this is a point I often bring up. They can't help it. They show us who they are. You know, you you show me a journalist's Twitter feed. I can look at it for 10 minutes. I'm sorry, 10 seconds, not 10 minutes. 
I can look at it for 10 seconds and I can tell you if this person is on the right or on the left. That's how easy this game is. And anybody else in the business, and honestly, anybody who's even a, a strong consumer of news can do the same thing. We all see it. We all know. Who are they retweeting? What stories are they sharing? From what outlets? It's not hard to understand this. And this is a return to honesty. I actually think this is better. If we crush this idea of an unbiased, neutral press corps, and everyone has to just say, look, I, I'm, I'm a conservative, and I report on the news. Because everyone has to have facts that back up their reporting, right? You, you need that. That's the basis for the story. But that's true of propaganda as well. And that's true in foreign countries where their state media, the regime can't lie about everything. They have to tell the truth about some things or else it doesn't have any real impact in shaping that public perception. But we have journos that show us who they are. And then on top of that, we have on Capitol Hill, as you saw yesterday, tech titans who work hand in glove with the national media establishment to push certain ideas and to suppress others. Ted Cruz had some uh, fiery moments to this end. Here he is addressing the CEO of Twitter, who has got quite a beard as a side note. But here he is. Play clip two. You forced the Politico reporter to take down his post about the New York Post as well. Is that correct? Within that 24 hour period, yes. But we, you know, as the policy has changed, anyone can tweet. So Twitter takes the view you can censor the New York Post, you can censor Politico, presumably you can censor the New York Times or any other media outlet. Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you? and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a Democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of your political beliefs? Well, we're we're not doing that. Uh, And this is why I opened um, this hearing with calls for more transparency. We realize we need to earn trust more. We realize that more accountability is needed to show our intentions and to show the outcomes. Thank you, um, Senator. So I, I hear the concerns and acknowledge them, but we want to we fix it with more transparency. Yeah, let's just go with transparency. That's going to do it. This is like the Biden court packing. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form a committee, and that committee is going to look at things, you know, like a committee, and they're going to be committeeizing to talk about the things And we're going to get the great ideas and build back better. Nap time. I mean, that's basically what you get from Biden on that issue. And what you're getting from Jack Dorsey is just another dodge. We're we're trying to build build up uh, public trust. They don't they don't know the first thing about building a public trust. You know what they should do? They should bring in somebody who is effectively treated like an independent ombudsman within Twitter from the right who whenever they've got a question about something or whenever, whenever they are about to pull a move, like we're going to ban this person, we're going to ban that person. There should be a representative from the right inside of Twitter. And then we should know who this person is who gets to say, hold on a second. What do you mean? Why are you doing that? Now, I know Twitter's not going to do this, but I'm just saying their transparency. It's going to be transparency for the next 10 years. Every time it's a conservative who gets screwed over here every time it's somebody on the right who gets uh, deplatformed or a story that's damaging the democrats that gets suppressed and they say oh but but you know it's our terms of service and the algorithms and the but 
No, it's because the social media giants are overrun with lib activists and even the more senior and more intelligent people who built these platforms in the earlier days, who were the founders. You have to remember, you know, I think Mark Zuckerberg is probably pretty reasonable on a lot of this stuff individually. But these companies are terrified. Even the CEOs are terrified of their woke 25 to 35 year olds who are completely insane, who reject the First Amendment in principle, who do not believe in the Bill of Rights and who really think that speech that they don't like is violence. And they're they're completely impossible to reason with at all. They are embedded. They are dug in at these companies. And these are the most powerful well-funded, wealthy media corporations now on the planet. Google, Facebook, Twitter. They are determining what your kids see and learn. They are determining the very verbiage that they read on everything from news stories to how to use a crockpot. Everything. That's the kind of control that they wield. It's more than the mainstream media had in the 60s and 70s. When the journos realized, hey, we don't have to actually win the argument or present better facts. We can just control all the newsrooms and the Democrats can start winning. And it worked. And it worked. That's where we are. We need to understand what battle we're really fighting. Transparency. Yeah. If we only have more access to their crappy decisions, then all of a sudden there'll be a free and fair information flow in this country. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. It's a powerful party and the party is totally joined with the fake news media, the lamestream media right there. And they're totally joined with the big tech, big tech. I don't know, Section 230. Does anyone know what Section 230 you do? Section 230, I think, wow. You know, tremendous corruption on behalf of the Biden. Tremendous. Do you know you can't find it anywhere in the media other than the New York Post, which I'm very proud of, and they endorsed me the other day, too, by the way. But you can't find it anywhere in the media, anywhere. It's not on any of the, it's not in Facebook. They have trending. They always put me trending. They'll give you 25 things that I've done over my life. They make it negative. Always negative trending. But sleepy Joe Biden, with all the corruption, all the theft, all the money they took out of these countries that we end up paying for in spades, you can't find it on big tech, and you can't find it at the Washington Post, the New York Times, because they're crooked, they're dishonest, and we caught them. Right now... As I speak to you, I, I scan the the uh, CNN.com website, right? CNN.com is one of the biggest liberal news sites in the world. Uh, they've got stories like economy's final report card before election shows stunning growth. That's not the whole story. Oh, of course. Trump is taking credit for the biggest and best GDP in U.S. history. Here are the facts. This is a giant Okay, the GDP is really good, but actually it's not really Trump. That's what that's what they're doing here on the on the page. Um, And then there's some stuff on Hurricane Zeta. Uh, Thoughts and prayers go out to everybody uh, down in Louisiana, Mississippi, that area. I know they've been hit pretty hard by this one. Then they've got push to slow testing tracks with dramatic decline in one key state. So that's right. Uh, The Trump, you you scan the, the. 
front page of CNN.com. And what it's telling you is Trump should get no credit for the massive GDP growth quarter we just we just had. And also they're trying to lie about covid numbers right before the election by slowing down testing. That that's the main stuff on CNN. Is there anything about Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden's emails? In fact, I have yet to see. I have yet to see a a single Hunter Biden story of of any kind on CNN other than people who are doing media criticism of those outlets that are talking about Hunter Biden. Brian Stelter is like, eh, it's so bad what they're doing. They're, we're honest journalists. We have no partisan axe to grind. You go to NBC News. The economy is showing signs of recovery. Many black Americans are not. I don't even know. And they have that under the title racial reckoning. Um. Record turnout in Texas, largest county, could be key to flipping a solidly red state. This is NBC News. OK, this is one of the, the big, you know, kind of watered down socialist left wing Democrat news sites. And, uh, you know, this is the big corporate friendly, family friendly brand. You know, NBC News, Brian Williams. Not anymore. Now it's Lester Holt. But I just love that that Brian Williams was their guy. And then they have in the, in the center. I mean, I just want to point out what what when I talk to you about narrative and propaganda and what the other side does we're five days from an election and they're telling you texas might get flipped blue uh you know the black community is is struggling in ways that show that you know trump is not getting getting it done here with the economy i mean i have i'm I'm just looking at the headlines i'm telling you i'm not even reading these articles necessarily because most people just look at the front page read some headlines and go about their business very few people, when you look at news stories, get past the first three paragraphs. That's the way it actually works. But they have in the center here a family endeavor. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. They do. Ha- they must have. This must be a it's about family corruption. This must be a, a Hunter Biden story, right? A family endeavor. Emails show how the mix of personal and official. Oh, no, wait. Emails show how. The Pompeo's mixed personal and official business. Isn't this isn't this incredible gaslight? This is a top story. This is the the banner. This is in the the first eye line that you will see when you click on NBCnews.com. A family endeavor email show how Pompeo's mixed personal official business. That's right. They're not going to cover the Hunter Biden emails and the personal business of Joe Biden, but they will cover the Pompeo emails. You know what they've got? Uh, they've got Pompeo for so far. They think that one of his assistants may have like walked his dog at one point or something. You know, that's what that's what they really go for here. That's the kind of stuff that really upsets them. Or, or might have picked up his dry cleaning. One of Pompeo, one of the secretary of state's assistants may have done something that's technically a personal favor. And, you know, oh, my gosh. I mean, this is this is what we're up against, friends. So there's there's just a blackout, as we know, about the Hunter Biden emails and those stories. And that's not going to change. That's the media's perspective on all this. They they are all in for Biden. That's not going to change. But there was something that was very strange, as you know, uh, Tucker Carlson's show. And I've been saying Tucker show is the best show on Fox. And that's been the case all year. And the ratings obviously show that now. Uh, and it's really it's the only Fox News show that's had me on this year, which I also think is interesting. The only show at Fox News that has me on is Tucker Carlson's show. But uh, 
Tucker did that great interview with Bobolinsky, who was uh, very compelling, very credible, earlier this week. But then last night on his show, Tucker had to tell everybody about something else that happened. Play clip 20. So on Monday of this week, we received from a source a collection of confidential documents related to the Biden family. We believe those documents are authentic, they're real, and they're damning. At the time we received them, our, my executive producer, Justin Wells, and I were in Los Angeles preparing to interview Tony Bobolinsky about the Biden's business dealings in China, Ukraine, and other countries. So we texted a producer in New York, and we asked him to send those documents to us in L.A., and he did that. So Monday afternoon of this week, he shipped those documents overnight to California with a large national carrier, a brand-name company that we've used, you've used countless times with never a single problem. But the Biden documents never arrived in Los Angeles. Tuesday morning, we received word from the shipping company that our package had been opened and the contents were missing. The documents had disappeared. Now, to its credit, the company took this very seriously and immediately began a search. They traced the envelope from the moment our producers dropped it off in Manhattan on Monday all the way to 3.44 a.m. yesterday morning. That's when an employee at a sorting facility in another state noticed that our package was open and empty. Apparently, it had been opened but they found nothing. Those documents have vanished. As of tonight, the company has no idea and no working theory even. No idea what happened. I'm guessing this was UPS. It could be FedEx. They didn't want to say which company, but it's uh, I'm sorry. No, I'm guessing it was FedEx, not UPS. Well, I guess it could be either. Who cares? Point is, they have pretty good, you know, point to point, uh, monitoring and their their loss is less than what you get especially for things if it's you know overnighted if it's high priority their loss level is less even than the u.s postal service which is loses about one percent of the mail as i understand it overall and they have no idea what happened somebody went in just happened to go in and get this i look i don't have an answer here and i, I you know i don't like baseless conspiracy theories at all And I have to also say that the impression I get is that these were the only they were hard, hard copy docs uh, documents and they didn't scan them and create copies. That's bad information security practice. So, look, people make mistakes. I get it. Very busy election cycle. And who really thinks that the you know, the the documents are going to disappear if you send them FedEx or UPS? I think very few people would. But here we are. Here we are. What could have happened here? Why would somebody go into these documents or or go into this package and take out these pieces of paper of all the stuff out there right now? I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but as you know, I'm also not a coincidence theorist. Does anybody have a plausible explanation for this? Does, does anybody want to try to venture a guess as to what the, the company is baffled? It's not like Tucker and Fox are saying, hey, something weird happened. And FedEx is like, well, you know, or UPS. Those are the breaks. What can, they're like, whoa, this is weird. This is weird. Uh, and if, if what Tucker was saying is not true, I'm sure they would put out a statement right away to say that's not fair. You know, we we, we have an answer for this. It got stuck in the sorting machine and got ripped up, you know, whatever it is. But no, everyone's saying, yeah. Something happened here. Uh, What's the answer? You know, what do we really think occurred in this instance? I I, I don't 
I don't know. But it does seem pretty fishy. And it seems like quite a coincidence. How would they have known that these, you know, that this document, that these, uh, this package had Hunter Biden related documents in it? I have no idea. Could it, could it just be a lightning strike situation? Maybe. Do you think it is random? Random chance? I wouldn't bet on it. 